Rivals, Episode 1, Growing Pains. Written and produced by Tim Farrell. Narrated by Louise Porter. Chrissy Everett, 21 years old, attractive in yellow, with gold earrings and bleach blonde hair, stands in front of a mirror applying eyeliner and lip gloss. Martina Navratilova, 19, chunky, with straight brown hair, sits on a bench and uses one wooden racket to bang repeatedly into the strings of another. She listens carefully, analyzing the pitch. A handful of players mill around in the West Side Tennis Club's dim and pokey locker room. It's 1975, and the swish facilities are still some years away. Martina watches Chrissy methodically apply her makeup. Hey, Chris, there are other players in this locker room. Maybe they'd like a few seconds in front of the mirror. I am not 16 anymore. A lot of battle scars to cover up. Let's hope we're not still playing each other when we are 30. I'm sure one of us would have found a life by then. Don't be so sure. Did you watch Johnny Carson last night? It's on too late. You've met him, haven't you? I played with him at the Pro-Am. He's a sweetheart, isn't he? How many times have you been on the show? Two, I think, or maybe three. Can't remember. Jeez, what a big head. (laughs) An attendant enters. Chrissy, Martina, we're ready. Thousands of rowdy beer-drinking and burger-eating fans fill the center court stadium. Middle-aged men and women in navy blazers and sunglasses sit ready to officiate the lines. Bud Collins, bearded, balding, and theatrical, and a female commentator sit shoulder to shoulder. And here come the players for the second semifinal. Chrissy, the hometown girl, acknowledges the applause with smiles and waves. Martina, the outsider, scans the vast stadium and knows what she's up against. Head-to-head, Chrissy's won 11, Martina just two. Photographers swarm as the rivals converge at the net. Martina rests the head of her racket on the court. You call Chris. Up. She spins the racket and it topples over. They inspect the logo on the butt of the handle. It's up. I'll return. Martina fails to reach a ball, and her error triggers raucous applause. She can't hide her annoyance, as Chrissy remains poker-faced. If playing Chrissy wasn't bad enough, Martina has to contend with 16,000 New Yorkers cheering every mistake. (laughs) Martina dispatches a stretch volley with typical flourish. Superb volley. If that doesn't pepper up, nothing will. The players rally until a ball flies past Martina. 15:40. She turns on her heels towards the umpire. That ball wasn't even close. I saw it good. It was half a foot out. Resume play, Miss Navratiltova. Maybe they'd see better without their sunglasses. Resume play, Miss Navratiltova. It's Navratilova. Resume play. Martina bites her lip. I don't think these two will be exchanging Christmas cards this year. She retreats to the baseline. Second serve. Her bottom lip trembles. She tosses the ball, swings, and the ball lands halfway up the net. Oh, double fault from Martina. That's the service break. She slumps into her chair, the capitulation complete. Game, Miss Everett. Miss Everett leads five games to four. Martina shakes her head in exasperation. She'd fought so hard to stay level, then to become completely distracted by that line call. It's it's really quite unforgivable. She stops remonstrating with herself and listens. In the distance, she hears the sound of a motorbike. Inside Martina's head, 
Jack. Martina looks to attack on every ball as Chrissy sticks like glue to the baseline. Martina says to Chrissy, you're going to have to finish this. I'm not going to lie down for you. Chomping at the bit now, Martina wins another hard-fought rally. Chrissy exhales and for once appears unnerved. Small chinks starting to appear in what we thought was Everts impenetrable armor. An unforced error from Chrissy gifts Martina the point. Chrissy cocks her arm, racket ready to fly. But at the last moment, stops. She takes a deep breath and composes herself. Chrissy serves and they rally before Martina rushes the net. Threads the needle with the pass. Mrs. Everett sits in the front row and applauds. Chrissy's mom liked it. Chrissy serves and Martina storms the net. Marooned mid-court, she stands and watches the ball arch over her head. Oh, that's cruel. Inches inside the baseline. Nothing Martina could do. Match point now for Chrissy. It's wide. That's it. Chrissy Everett through to her first U.S. Open final. Game, set, and match. Miss Everett. 6-4, 6-4. Martina appears gracious in defeat. Chrissy, the pressure valve relieved, smiles conciliatorily as they shake hands. Martina dries her hair as Chrissy steps from her shower. What are you doing for dinner? I can't tonight. I have to meet Fred. I was going to try that place Billie Jean mentioned. Yeah, we have to taste that pasta primavera. Martina, there's a call from your manager. Okay, I'm coming. She leaves a trail of water as she runs down the hallway. Passersby watch curiously as she ducks into an alcove and lifts the receiver from the top of a payphone. Hello, Fred. Martina, in a paisley shirt, sits beside Fred Barman, who drives and appears frazzled. Did you hear that one of those brainwashed Manson kids tried to shoot Gerald Ford? Jeez, what a day. Fred, you need to calm down. Is that car following us? He abruptly slows down. You've seen too many movies. Well, there are stories of people getting jabbed with syringes and bundled onto planes never to be heard from again. Fred, you're making me nervous now. I just want to be certain that you know what you're doing. If I go back, it'll always be the same. It's the only way I can have a career that's really mine. Martina wears bell-bottom jeans and trails behind Fred as they walk down a dark and ramshackle alleyway. Fred lugs a heavy briefcase and glances around like he's lost. They approach a nondescript doorway. This must be it. As they wait, Martina notices an intercom speaker. Fred watches her push the button. Yes? It's Fred Barman and Martina Navratilova. Wait there. Martina, Fred, and a federal agent stand within a dilapidated freight elevator. The elevator door is open on a deserted office hallway. The agent exits the elevator, and Martina and Fred follow. Martina and Fred sit together in a small and stark office. Fred fondles his briefcase, and Martina surveys the room. A glimmer of recognition flickers across her face. Martina sits opposite a female bureaucrat in a large but sparsely appointed government office. Pictures of Czech President Husak and Soviet leader Brezhnev take pride of place. Why are you spending so much time around the Americans? Who says that? I spend time with all the players. You know that you have to stay in the same hotel as the other Czech players. The other hotel was miles away from Roland Garros, and I was playing doubles with Grace. 
It made sense to stay in the same hotel. There's no exception. We won the title. Do you think you're better than your countrymen? No, but Chris and Billie Jean are my friends too. You do realize what a privileged position you have, don't you? Yes. I mean, yes, comrade. We're letting you play New York. But when the tournament is over, you come straight home and finish high school. After that, we will need to assess things. Martina holds her gaze, quietly defiant. Agent Dawkins enters and removes his jacket. Martina and Fred notice a revolver inside his shoulder holster. They watch as he sits down and opens a folder. We'll try and keep this as quiet as possible for as long as we can. We'd appreciate that, but there's no guarantees. Agent Dawkins surveys his folder as Martina and Fred swap furtive glances. Your passport, please. He studies it and then eyeballs Martina. So, Miss Navratilova, why are you seeking political asylum in the United States? Open suitcases sit on the floor amidst rackets, clothes, sneakers, and magazines. Martina and Fred enter her room at the Roosevelt Hotel. Maybe have a drink. Try to relax. You know I don't drink. Watch some TV, then. I'm fine, really. Well, you know I have some things to take care of. I'll be back in the morning. Don't let anyone into the room. Any problems, just call me, okay? Okay. Thanks, Fred. She watches Fred leave, then turns to the TV. She sees news footage of President Ford ducking for cover. A Secret Service fled the scene. The woman came within three feet of the president, but police and Mr. Ford's Secret Service agents wrestled her to the ground before she could get a shot off. Did you hear about the President Ford? No. Someone tried to shoot him. Was he hurt? No, it didn't go off. Want to watch The Tonight Show? I can't, sorry. I've got someone here. No, that's okay. Good luck for tomorrow. Thanks. Martina looks listlessly around the room. Chrissy lies in bed with Jimmy Connors, 23, who despite his ill-advised page boy haircut, remains adorably cute. Chrissy hands Jimmy the phone and he reseats the receiver without removing his eyes from the TV. Did you hear about Gerald Ford? Who? The president. Oh, that, yeah. Why didn't you say anything? Nothing happened. Who was that? Martina. She's lonely. You sure you want to keep playing doubles with her? Why not? She's already beaten you twice. Both were indoors. And anyway, she goes to pieces under pressure. She's gunning for you, kid. Don't say I didn't warn you. Chrissy climbs on top of Jimmy. Oh, Jimmy. You're so protective. Turns me on. Always has. Probably always will. They kiss. Hey, you need to rest. America wants to see their princess get her U.S. Open crown. Well, if I don't win, someone at the presser is bound to ask what happened. And I'll just have to say that I was feeling very tired during the match. And why is that, Miss Everett? Because I spent all last night fucking my brains out with Jimmy Connors. Jimmy smiles and they continue kissing. Martina tips a miniature vodka bottle into a glass. She takes a sip, scrunches her face, then looks to the TV. To meet the oil producer's legitimate needs. She's miles away, though. Images simply washing over her. Back in the moment, she makes for the phone. This is a recording. The number you have reached is not in service at this time. She stares out her high-story window and watches yellow taxis glide down a sleepy Madison Avenue. 
autumnal yellow and orange forest shrouds the wide and still Barunka River. A pair of canoeists paddle leisurely in the distance. Martina and Merrick walk together. They said I've become too Americanized. There, I'm a foreigner. Here, I'm too American. But I think I want to stay over there. I was going to say the same thing. What about Mum and Yanka? They'll understand. It's not your fault. I want to say goodbye to Babitska. You can't say anything. You just have to leave. And no matter what we say, you mustn't return. When we speak on the phone, they might have a gun to our head. Martina, if you go, there's no coming back. Martina gazes from the second-story window of her family home. She turns and sees Mirek standing in the doorway. We have to leave. Mirek loads a suitcase into the trunk of their tiny car. Martina stands beside her mother, Jana, and teenage sister. Bye, Anka. Bye, Martinka. Don't forget the jeans. Size 14, right? She embraces Jana. Bye, Mom. They break apart, and Jana sees Martina near tears. It's okay. We'll see you in a month. Martina enters the car as Merrick starts the engine. She turns around to look through her rear windshield and watches her mother and sister get smaller and smaller. Martina stands at the window of her hotel room, holding her empty glass. The sound from the TV draws her over. She increases the volume and plops down on the bed. Good evening. I'm your Johnny Carson doll. You wind me up, I do the monologue, then I wet myself. She smiles, moments from sleep. Now look, I'll tell you what. I get things perfectly clear tonight. Before I do the monologue, let me explain a few things. Martina, aged eight, muscle and bone, clings to 30-year-old Mirak. She's giddy with delight as their motorbike hurtles through scenic bohemian countryside in the summer of 1964. Junior matches monopolize the courts of a regional tennis club. Martina hits a shot and sprints to the net. She stops flat-footed in no man's land and watches as the ball sails over her head for a winner. Wholly dispirited, she hunts for her father's gaze amongst the sprinkling of spectators. Mirek vigorously nods his encouragement, and her face brightens. Martina serves and they rally. She surges forward once more. The opponent's ball is seemingly out of reach, but Martina conjures all her natural athleticism into a spectacular diving winner. Mirek looks bemused as he watches her swagger back to the baseline. Mirek, Martina, and her grandfather sit at a small formica table. Yana and Martina's grandmother place plates of apple strudel on the table. Yanka, aged one, plays on the floor. Uh, I did the best I could. The apples were not good. I can't remember the last time we had strudel. Well, it's not often we have something to celebrate. You should have seen Martina today. Her backhand has improved so much. Your grandmother had a wonderful backhand. Did you know she beat Vera Sukova's mother? Who's that? Vera was runner-up at Wimbledon. What about you, Mommy? No, she never did anything. Martina, do you know how lucky you are to have such a supportive and encouraging father? Grandfather appears indignant as Yana sits down. Is it any wonder I get migraines? Grandmother takes a mouthful and pushes the plate away. Ugh! It's worse than I thought. It's fine, isn't it, Martina? Yes. 
the hide of them to make an old woman work in a factory for her pension. And force strangers into our home. He left the gate open the other day. Anyone could have walked in. Why would anyone come in? There's nothing worth stealing. That's where you're wrong. Criminals today will steal anything. The latch doesn't close properly. Yes, I know. I'll fix it tomorrow. Martina bicycles over the cobblestones of her local village. A line of 30 people snakes its way out of a bakery. Five terracotta-colored courts lay in the leafy surroundings of the Revnitsa Tennis Club. Mirek shovels clay from a wheelbarrow onto the adjacent court as Yana and Grandmother enjoy a casual hit. Yanka, covered in clay, takes tentative steps nearby. Martina approaches, carrying loaves of bread. Martina, come play. Grandmother takes the bread and heads to the clubhouse. Move your feet to those short bowls. Don't be so lazy. That's much better. Pretend you are at Wimbledon and your mother is Margaret Smith with those long arms and legs. Boys and girls of various ages compete in tournament play. Martina and Merrick stand at the window of a minuscule office. An administrator sits opposite. Name? Martina Subertova. Mr. Subert, your first name? Martina glances to Merrick and appears embarrassed for him. It's Merrick, and the surname is Navratil. She makes a correction. Signature? Merrick signs the slip and returns it. Kurtthor. Martina munches an apple as she walks with Merrick. What was wrong with the apples? What? Why were Mummy and Grandma upset about the strudel? Your grandmother's family had an orchard. Where? Near the house. You can still see it from upstairs. What happened to it? The communists seized it. They stole it? Yes, they stole it. They stop walking and he takes her apple. So, you remember what we talked about? She nods and he gives her a kiss on the cheek. He takes a bite of the half-eaten apple and watches her walk onto court. Martina approaches her opponent, a well-dressed nine-year-old. The girl looks her up and down, stopping on her ragged sneakers. Up or down? Up. The racket spins, and they inspect the handlebutt. I'll serve, and that racket looks old enough to be my grandfather's. The opponent lumbers from corner to corner. There's fear in her face as she realizes she's about to lose. The girl eventually tires and watches a shot fizz by. Martina, in an echo of her adult self, gazes from her home's second-story window. In the distance, she sees an orchard of thriving apple trees. Back in 1975, the drone of TV static fills the hotel room. Martina, still dressed in her clothes, sleeps soundly on the bed. 